0: Well, good morning. If you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, I know that's a shock for some of you. Uh, if you've been traveling with us um, and you've been here week after week, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we we concluded chapter 6 last week. And so this week and over the next four weeks, we're going to be in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to be looking at this idea of, of encourage one another. And I think it's quite impro- quite appropriate because uh, this time of year, for me, it's really encouraging in the things that we get to take part in and things like Advent and, and just the, the music is different this time of year and the decorations. All these things are really encouraging to me because it reminds me of what has happened and also who I trust in. And this, this God that has promised his son came through on his promise and, and now we have hope and we have peace, we have joy because of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to focus on this idea of encouragement because this time of year can be uh, a time where it can be really encouraging or the opposite of that because you're dealing with family and friends. Because it could be really encouraging to get together with friends and family, or it could go terribly wrong and bad. And so I, I want to give you some things over the next four weeks to really think about in this idea of encouraging one another and what Paul has to teach us. If, if you think of people's lives like a body of water, whether it be a lake or a pond or even a, a river, um, if, if you went out to a body of water and you've ever skipped rocks or thrown rocks into that water, what is one of the effects of that? Ripples. You get a ripple effect because of that, because of that rock, that stone thrown into the water. Also, you can walk over that water and put your hand or your foot into the water and you create a ripple effect. And it doesn't really matter how hard you throw a rock or touch that water, it creates ripples. And so is encouragement into the lives of people. That it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be like this giant rock you're throwing into somebody's metaphorical pond, but it could be just a small stone that you throw in, and it creates a ripple effect into their life. And this is what encouragement does. It, it can be subtle. It can be something that's not just over the top in in um, wearing somebody out with how much encouragement. Encouragement. We'll get to that in a moment uh, of what that looks like, and be just so simple of a thing that you can do, to really create an encouragement in somebody. So, this idea of encouragement, we, first of all, can understand that it doesn't take a lot for it to be encouraging, but it definitely needs to be intentional for it to be encouraging. It doesn't take a lot of effort, but it does take intentionality in the effort, and we'll get to some of that today. Now... uh, as I was putting this together, I was thinking through people in my life that have been encouraging. And one of the first people that always come to my mind when I think of an encouraging person is a man named Jim Foley. And he was at my church in, uh, in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And Jim was just this, this guy that he had been radically saved by Jesus, which you all have been if you believed in him, by the way. And he just transformed, changed. He's got quite a testimony. And Jim was just an encouraging person. Very different than what, uh, again, what he tells me was before. And Jim's personality was just one he just encouraged everybody. Didn't matter who you were, if, whether he knew you or not, he was just an encouraging kind of person. In one instance, I remember, it was the very first sermon that I preached. Uh, the first sermon that I got up, and and I was really nervous, and uh, I think it lasted maybe 15 minutes. Some of you are like, oh, where's that Todd? Um, and so... It was about maybe, maybe not even 15 minutes in length, and I remember after the service, I was standing kind of down the front, people were talking to me, and here comes Jim, he always had a smile on his face, and Jim comes up to me and says, well brother, you said it, I was like, yeah, I don't, how do I take that, is that a compliment, is that a compliment? Is that discouraging. But here's what I knew of Jim. He always wanted the best for me. He always had my best intentions in mind. And so whenever Jim said something, he always meant it to be encouraging. So I never took it the wrong way. And even at that, I still remember that comment, well, you said it. And if you would have known how nervous I was, it was just difficult to say it. And so Jim, he saw, hey, you did something. You did something that you weren't comfortable with, but you did it. And that was an encouraging word that he gave me. Let me put this thought in your mind as we travel through Scripture and as we think through this idea of encouragement. What what would our church look like if we became professional encouragers? If we got real serious, we made it our job to be encouragers, what would our church look like? What would our community look like? If just this group of people here this morning became professional at encouraging people, real encouragement, I think things would look radically different in our, in our church. They would look different in our culture, in our, our little community here in Independence. I think maybe even the state would start to look different because of what we're doing. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm wired that way. I'm just kind of a naturally encouraging person. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not. I just don't have that kind of personality. I'm I'm not the tigger that bounces around and just encourages everybody. I'm more the Eeyore. You know, it's just, oh, yeah, the sun's out. Well, whatever. I'll get a sunburn. And you just you're not encouraging anybody. You just kinda Eeyore through life and But here's here's something that's really important that I don't want you to miss is that it's probably true about your personality. I'm, I'm not denying that we have different personalities and we have different traits about who we are, but there's one reality that we will see here in First Thessalonians is that it doesn't matter what your personality is. Because what we are given is not a recommendation to an optional occupation or activity of encouragement, but it is one that has been commanded to us by Christ, our Savior, who has loved us while we were still unlovable. He is this one that has proclaimed to us that we are to be encouragers. And Paul reiterates this whole idea here in First Thessalonians. And so maybe, maybe you sit here this morning thinking, I just, I'm going to really struggle through these four weeks. I'm just not encouraging. And I don't have encouraging people around me. And so I'm just not going to be really able to do this well, hopefully, by the end of our our time, even this morning, that you'll think differently. You'll think differently about the other people around you, because here's the reality that I think most of us don't really understand is that the people around you, even this morning, they are in far more need than you realize. And also, you can be a far more help than you realize. with just simple encouragement. And I hope to give you some principles of that this morning. I want to take you to chapter 5 of our text, 1 Thessalonians. If you didn't bring a Bible, it will be on page or, sorry, 928 of that black hardback Bible. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 23. Each week, we're going to read this passage just to refresh our minds, and then we're going to walk through some of the scriptures that are here. But let's look at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and uh, build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me take you back to verse 11. We're gonna spend some time thinking about this verse and just these first few words, first two words that are here. The first word that is mentioned by Paul is therefore. Now, whenever you see that in scripture, you've probably heard this saying, you should ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? And so it should instantly force you to go backwards into the text, which we didn't read all of chapter five. And we need to kind of gain the, the full context of what Paul is saying. And specifically with chapter 5, Paul is referring to the coming of Jesus, the second coming of our Lord. And this is interesting because then kind of the end of chapter 5 is this idea of encouragement and things that we need to do to be encouraging. But it's all in light of the second coming of Jesus. I want to show you verses 4 and 5 because it's helpful to see why we should have this expectation and why we should be encouraging. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, But you, he's talking to the church, talking to believers, are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Paul is saying, hey, you should think different, you should act different because you are different. This is not something that's, that should be new to the believer, that you should be different than the world. This is a reminder, again, to these people and to us this morning, that we should not be like the world, walking in darkness, but in the light, because we are children of the light. We shouldn't look identical to the world or even, I think, even have similarities to the world in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our, our words, We should be different. This contrast that Paul gives is one that Jesus used repeatedly, and that is this idea of light and and darkness. And that whenever you have light, there is no darkness. It it has to flee, and light will always overpower darkness. Would you say that these scriptures, these two verses here, do you think they would describe your lifestyle? of One of walking in light versus walking in darkness? Or would you say, I don't know. I think if we struggle maybe with that question of, is my lifestyle one that's revealing light, and that I'm a child of light, if you're struggling with that, then maybe this morning, maybe you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you don't really know who He is. And I would encourage you to do that today. The second word that's found in verse 11 is encourage. Therefore, encourage. What, what is this word? Well, there it is in English, but what is the Greek word because you all were wondering. And the the Greek word that we have, and if you'd like to write this down, you you can do that it's on on the screen. It's parakaleo. Parakaleo is is this Greek word. And this Greek word it, it literally means to call to one's side or to encourage or strengthen somebody. Uh, this parakaleo word is the root word that we find in one of the Gospels, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 16. And if you would turn there real quick, John chapter 14, verse 16. And you might want to underline this in your Bible or put a little note here. I think this is really interesting of what we're seeing here in First Thessalonians 5. John chapter 14, verse 16. I'll give you just a moment. This perikaleo is this root word that we find in verse 16 of John 14, where it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This root word, perikaleo, is where this other Greek word that's used for helper here. Now, who is the helper that's described, that's, that's mentioned here? It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about. That the Holy Spirit is going to be this percaleo, this root word that's used here. He's going to be the one that's going to come. This word that is translated, uh, it's translated differently in other places that's used here as advocate, an advocate. I think this is a great idea uh, to put this in our minds and think about what percaleo means, to encourage somebody. It is this idea of helper or advocate, one that is fighting for someone else. One who comes alongside and, and has the intention of helping, of doing something to help this person. What does an advocate do? They, they argue for somebody. Not against them, but for them. They fight for them. They, they combat things for them. They advocate for them. I think this is a great way to think about it, what encouraging somebody looks like. You are fighting for them. But fighting against who or what? What is it? Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, is probably a very familiar verse to you. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When we are encouraging people, we are helping them to fight against these things. We are helping them to fight the battle of doubt and of darkness. This is what we're doing. We're helping people to see the light. We're helping them to see the light through the darkness of maybe the doubt that they're in or, or just the sin that they're in. We're helping them find what is true and reject what is false. We are helping them in, in so many different ways. And we do this by coming alongside them, just like this perikaleo word means. We come alongside them to strengthen them, to fight with them, to, to fight against these things for them. Because we have this world that has schemes that are of the devil, which verse 11 says in Ephesians 6, if we could start to view our world with spiritual eyes, we would see that our brothers and sisters in Christ are under attack. They are under fire. This is a war in which we are in. And all of us need encouragement. This is not a a once a month kind of a battle. This is a daily struggle that we are all in. And just as I said, the, the person probably sitting next to you has far more need in their life than what you realize. And you can be a far more help than you realize. You can be their advocate. You can be their help. You can come alongside them. You can strengthen them. You can encourage them. These are all things that you can do, and you can do even today. What a, what a great way to think about this idea of encouragement and encouraging someone. What is encouragement? Well, let me kind of define it for you of what you might find in like a dictionary. You'd find something like this, that it's to stimulate development or growth. It is to give hope or support, and it also builds up. And we see all this play out from what Paul talks about. Let's think about the first thing here, stimulates development or growth. In this idea of encouragement and developing growth in somebody, purpose that we have is is that we are, are fighting for the best for somebody else. That we want the, the best for somebody. And so we are going to try to encourage them in a way that's going to bring out the best in this person. It's not just simply that you, you try to make them feel better, but you're trying to make them better. There's a difference in that, right? I mean, Let me give you an example of feeling better versus actually getting better. Feeling better would be eating a carton of ice cream. You, you would feel better for a moment... And then it's maybe painfully obvious that that didn't help. But to actually get better means that you start to understand what the problem really is. And then you start to develop a plan to overcome it. And maybe you need somebody else to help you do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Of inviting other people into your life and say, help me here. I I want to get better. I just want to feel better. I I want to get better. And so often we were controlled by feelings, and we need, to, we need to recognize that and know, hey, I'm just I'm being driven by how I feel and not really by what needs to happen, what should happen. And so our encouragement, it should stimulate development or growth into people. We want the best thing for them to help them get better, not just feel better. And so just coming up and, and telling them, have a better day, it may not be that encouraging. A second thing is encouragement gives hope. It gives support. We have a world that is draining us constantly of hope. It is draining us constantly of, of support. It's not supporting us, it's tearing us down too often. And, and I think you can see this uh, play out in many different ways and in different sources of media. And so, real encouragement, it gives hope and it gives support to the person. It, it's not draining them of something, but it's adding something to them. And the third thing that's here by the encouragement, it builds up. Now, this is, this is the same uh, word that's used there in 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 11, where Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. This Greek word that's used there for build has this connotation of building a house. Now, think about that. Whenever I encourage somebody, I'm, I'm building something into their life. I'm stimulating growth, I'm stimulating development in them. I'm giving them hope. I'm supporting just like just like you need a foundation to be poured on a house before it to be worth anything. That you have to have a good foundation. And so we want to come alongside people, help them advocate for them that we that they would have a good foundation. They would have sturdy walls. They would have a good roof. And however far you want to run with that metaphor of building if somebody's metaphorical house in their life. I, I think you can, but be careful there. Um, you don't want to go too far with metaphors sometimes. But it, it's, this is, I think, a great picture for us to think of. Whenever Paul mentions building here, building one another up, think of that. The next time you want to give encouragement to somebody, of how is this going to build them? How is this going to help them, grow them, develop them? Christian encouragement should be different than how the world thinks of encouragement. Christian Christian encouragement has something different as an end goal. It has a end in mind. And this is what chapter 5 is about, isn't it? Chapter 5 is about the end. It's about whenever we see Christ, whenever we see him again. And this is the encouragement that Paul starts with in chapter 5. And then he shows us, this is how you encourage. You point back to this fact that he's already made, that Christ is coming, our Savior our hope, he is coming. The encouragement that Paul's speaking of is this idea of, of light. Light is coming to the world. He's coming. And we're going to stand before him. Now, the purpose of encouragement, we find Paul reiterate this fact in verse 23. and Look there in verse 23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our purpose in encouragement is for them to become more like Jesus. Our encouragement and what we're trying to do, what we're trying to say and help people with, is in part with the Holy Spirit's work to sanctify people the goal that we should have in mind is one in which Paul is trying to reiterate here. And that is we are trying to help people be prepared to meet Jesus face to face. This is what your encouragement is to do. To build something into their life, help them put up right walls, right foundation that they would be ready to see Jesus face to face. Have you thought about that as what encouragement should be? that as I give encouragement to somebody, maybe it's a word, maybe it's an action, I am helping them be prepared to see Jesus. I think with that thought, it would change the way that we talk to people, it change the way that we interact with people, it would change the way that we maybe just organize our life. The words that you use, the actions that you use, they create a ripple effect. They ripple out. And we need to understand that those ripples... be good or bad, and the ripples that we should want to create in somebody's life is to prepare them for Jesus. Now, Paul, he makes it clear here that God is going to get all the credit for anyone's sanctification. As he says, now may the God of peace uh, himself sanctify you completely, but we're also being invited here by Paul to be part of the sanctification process. That we participate along with the working of the Spirit in people, and God uses His people along with the Spirit to bring about change in people. He uses us. And this is just amazing to think of. Again, not just that He, he came to save us, but he, he also called us into something. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to each other. And it's all under the banner of Christ. We've been given this awesome invitation to be change agents in people's lives, to to build things into their life, to encourage them. And this is just another act of grace from God, inviting us to be a source or sources of encouragement for other people. Now, where do we start with encouraging people? That's kind of the the, the philosophy behind this, kind of the, the big idea behind this. Now, how does this start to play out? Where do we start with this? Well, Paul starts in verse 12 and 13. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So he starts with the brothers. We ask you, brothers. And what does he ask them to do? He says, to respect. To respect. I think true encouragement comes from a root of respect. If you do not respect a person, you're probably not going to encourage that person. And, And think about this as you go to work this week. As you have people in your life that maybe you just you've never encouraged ever, why is that? Maybe it's because you've lost respect for them and you just just don't share any encouraging words with them or actions toward them because you really don't respect them. I think until we understand this, we're probably not going to go out of our way to do something nice for somebody or say something that's helpful for somebody that we don't really like. Why should we show respect to people? Well, because they're made in the image of God, for one thing. They're human beings. And because of that fact, we should be showing respect to people. Now, understand this. Respect does not equate to agreement. It doesn't mean that you agree with them, but this also, uh, what what it does mean is that in disagreement, there's no room for name-calling or intentional word-wounding, where we, we throw out these these comments or these snide remarks where they're intended to wound even though we're like oh no I was just joking you're like no you weren't you've heard that saying where there's where there's smoke there's fire the same thing's true like if you're if you're you know just being sarcastic to a level like oh I really didn't mean it though it's like yeah but you did you intended to be disrespectful and this really shouldn't be the case with christians Respect, it does involve being polite and kind toward a person. But not because they were kind to you. Not because they were respectful or polite to you. Because if that was the case, and that was the standard, that was the universal rule for the universe, then what would Jesus have done? What would he have done? We've just been through Mark, chapter 6. What would he have done the moment that people disrespected him? The moment that people rejected him or didn't really listen to him, we wouldn't be here today, would we? Now, what's interesting in, this, in these two verses, he talks to the brothers. He tells them to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, to admonish and admonish you. And I want you to see this here about the leaders, so what the leaders are supposed to be doing, to admonish. This idea of admonish means to put into the mind or to warn this is what your pastors, your elders do for you. They warn against sinful behavior, foolish decisions. This is their job. They're to admonish you. So, you know, if you if you leave here on a Sunday morning or uh, maybe out of, a, out of a Sunday school class, you're like, oh, that was kind of offensive. That kind of hurt my feelings. Good, right? Uh, you're, you're warned. Um, th- that's something that should be true of what's happening on a fairly regular basis. Not every single Sunday maybe, but you should be admonished. There should be things being put into your mind to warn you of behavior, to warn you against foolish decisions. And this is what you sign up for when you join a church. that You're giving pastors and elders of the church the authority to admonish you, to hold you accountable of your behavior and of your lifestyle choices. It is extremely hard, though, for the leaders, pastors, elders to admonish you if they don't really know you. It's really hard. Now, why don't they know you? Well, sometimes it's because pastors, elders, have just done a bad job. we have just done a bad job of getting to know who you are. We haven't invited you maybe out to lunch. We, we haven't spent time with you like we should have. We, we haven't done things that we should have done, but I don't think this is mostly the case. I think the larger problem that we have is because people don't really want to be known people really don't want <laughs> I don't want the pastor to show up I don't really want the elders to know what's going on I'll, I'll tell somebody else but I don't want them to know for some reason and a lot of this plays out because you just don't attend, you don't attend on a, on a regular basis, you think it's regular but it's more like you know twice a year instead of like every week you're like yeah but I'm a regular attender no you're not I think we have different definitions of regular. Our, our intention with the things in which we do, whether it be our worship service or Sunday school or prayer meeting or life groups, these things are to help you. They're here for, for your encouragement. You're, they're also here for you to be known and for people to know you. Some people only want to be seen at church, but they don't want to be known at church. had these conversations with people in very small churches and churches very large. Well, I don't really know anybody. You tell me, there's 60 people in this church, you don't know everybody? Or anybody? Like, that's almost impossible in my mind of how you don't know somebody. But this, I've seen this, I've been there. I've had these kind of conversations with people, and it's because they don't want to be known. And your leaders can do all kinds of things and organize all kinds of things, but they can't make you be known. This is something that you must do. Your leaders, they want to warn you, they want to put things into your mind, but you have to be here. And If you're not here, it's hard for that to happen. It's hard for us to admonish you when you're not here. But also, whenever you're here, you need to be here. Make sense? When you're present, you must be present. And so many times, people show up and, and then they check out. Well, I got there. Okay, what did, what did the pastor talk about? What did your Sunday school teacher talk about? Oh, you know, I really don't remember. Why? Because you really weren't present. You, your mind was somewhere else. Your thoughts were somewhere else. You had other things that you thought were more important. You thought your, your fantasy football team was more important. You were checking your phone. You were on Facebook, whatever. Like You were checked out. You weren't really here, even though you were here. And this can't be the case for you to really be admonished, for you to be warned. In verse 13, he says to the brothers again, what, he, what instruction he gives them, he says, esteem them very highly in love. Now, this doesn't mean that you esteem your pastor or elders because uh, they have just fantastic personalities and charisma. So like, oh, yeah, they're just such a great person. But you... You do this because of their office. They're under shepherds to the good shepherd. And so you esteem them very highly in love because of who they are, who they represent. They are due respect. They are due esteem because of the office that they hold. But also notice what Paul includes in this idea of esteeming them very highly. There's two words, in love. It's kind of like respect don't really respect the person you're, you're not really going to encourage the person and if you don't really love the person you're probably not going to really esteem that person your esteem for them should be driven by love and the love for God first of all not that, not that you just like their personality that you really get along with them but you love God and because you love him so much you have been changed by him so much you love these people and you want to honor God by honoring them. You want to respect God by respecting them. And you do everything that you can in order to, to show that for God and for this person. And so there's two things that are true about leaders and workers. And you see this in the next slide here. Leaders and workers, they, they work to build up the body. What is, what is the role of pastors, of volunteers, of workers? They are doing this. They're building up the body. Now, it says in Scripture that God builds his church, but how does he do that? He uses his people to build the church. He uses us. We, we are the ones in which he starts to use. And then a second thing that is here that leaders and workers do, they have your best interest in mind. They want what's good for you, what's right for you. They, they want you to be encouraged. They want you to be admonished so you'd be warned, so you wouldn't do something foolish. They have good intentions for you. I want to take you to Hebrews 13, verse 17, because there's a command given here that's very relatable to to what Paul has just said. In chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If, if you would get in your mind and your heart that the, the volunteers, the pastors, the elders of this church, they have your best interest in mind. The things in which we plan, and which we organize, and that we, we put a lot of work into, whether it be a special event or a Sunday morning, they all are for your advantage. They're all good for you. They're right for you. They're intended to help you, to grow you, to encourage you. And as this verse starts here, obey them and submit to them. You're like, ooh, I don't like those words. Obey and submit. That's, that's the life of the Christian, friend. It's a life of submitting to Christ, of obeying Christ. And as he has put leaders over you, they care for you. But look at the responsibility that they have. It's great because they give an account to God. That's who they give an account to. As a pastor, like, that, that's a scary thought. That I'm going to be held accountable for each one of you. I'm going to be held accountable for what's been happening in the church and what I've allowed in the church and, and things that I haven't addressed, that I haven't admonished you about. I will be held accountable to that. Your elders will be held accountable to that. So how do we encourage our leaders and workers? How do, how do we do this? Let me give you four things. Four things to help us play this out, to to make this very applicable to our life. The first thing is do verses 13 through 22. Just do those, we're good. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at each of those verses and think about what what does this mean? What does this look like? How does this play out? So we won't spend a lot of time here this morning, but just do those things. Do verses 13 through 22, and you'll be encouraging to the workers and leaders of your church. Uh, Second thing is don't say, good job. Don't say that, because that's not really encouraging. Because it's so broad, it's so vague. What does it even mean? I have people come up to me all the time, and they have really good intentions, and I'm not not diminishing that, but they just say, "Well, good, good sermon." And what what does that mean? Like, so often we have this Goldilocks mentality. You know what this is? My chair was just right the sermon was just right. He was funny enough. Like all these little things that you know, Goldilocks did just fit perfectly for me. And then you're like, "Yeah, it's great. Why?" If if we really stopped to think about why was it good? Why was it why was it admonishing me? It's not only helpful for the person that you're telling that to, but it's helpful for you because you've processed it. You've thought about it. It's not just this, oh, yeah, I'm let me pat you on the back and move on. But this is what's happened in me because of what you said, because of what you've done. It's changed me. Now, it's good to say good job, but it better be followed with something else. Good job because. And then you explain why it was a good job. And I think this is a really important thing as you... Everywhere else you go, everybody else that you talk to, everybody else that you try to encourage, whether it be in this place or outside of here, if you say good job, follow it up with why. Why is it good? Let's be helpful. Let's be truly encouraging. And not just leave it as this vague, ambiguous, like, you just come to terms with whatever you think it might mean of why it was a good job. Third thing that I think is helpful for us is don't use flattery. Don't use flattery. Flattery and encouragement are not the same things. Flattery intends to deceive. Flattery has ulterior motives involved. Flattery is only beneficial to the flatterer. It's an attempt to manipulate the person to do something that you want them to do. That's what flattery really is. And so real encouragement has the intention of benefiting the receiver of the encouragement, not just yourself. It shouldn't have any ulterior motive attached to it. Encouragement helps people to identify their talents and their gifts and also to spur them on to develop those, to grow those. That's what real encouragement is. It's not flattery. It's not just empty words. I think some helpful questions for you to ask the next time you you you're about to say something that you think, oh, this is gonna be encouraging. Here's a couple questions. Think about these. Am I saying these things for my benefit or for the person's benefit? These words that are about to come out of my mouth, are, is it just flattery? Is it really just for my benefit, for them to be like, oh, yeah, those, they're such a nice person? Or is it really going to be beneficial to them? Another question is, are these words true or false? Is what I'm saying about this person, is it really true? Just like m- my, my friend Jim, he said, hey, you got up there and said it. He didn't embellish anything. He didn't fluff anything up. He just said, hey, you, you said it. Thanks, Jim. That was encouraging. He I knew that he wasn't gonna feed me any lines when that was false. He was helpful, even in just a, a few short words. Many of you know who Zig Ziglar is, and he says this: if you're sincere, praise is effective. If you're insincere, it's manipulative. If you don't really mean it, you're just trying to manipulate in some way, some fashion. Let's not use flattery. Flattery, according to the Bible, is a form of hatred. Let me show you Psalm chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Let me let you in on an insight of how God views flattery. He says, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great or makes great boasts. Hmm. The next time you get ready to say something, think of that verse. Is God going to cut off my lips? Now, there's a great tale song about lips, but we won't go there. Um, the, the idea of flattery, like, we should hate that. Whether we say it or somebody else says it. Because again, flattery is intended to manipulate to, to really be a one-way street. And it's only for the person that's, that's giving those things. The last thing that I think is helpful... And encouraging to leaders, to workers, and really to anybody else, and that is to tell your story. Tell your story. Once you get to Philippians 2 19, where Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Why is Paul going to be cheered? Because he, he gets to hear stories of what's happening in the church. He, he gets to hear from Timothy that has been there, he's heard it, he's seen it, and Paul, again, reminds you, he is in prison when he writes this book. He's going to be cheered in prison because he hears stories of other people's lives being changed because of Jesus Christ. This is what your leaders, your workers, they want to hear from you. Tell us your stories. We've been promoting resources out on this table in the hallway for several months, and we've, we've said this, and I'll say it again this morning. We want to hear your story. If you've been reading those books, if, if you've been changed by those books, like, we want to know. If you haven't been changed by those books, if they haven't been helpful, tell us. We want to be helpful to you. We want to admonish you. We want to warn you. We want to build you up. We want to hear your stories. I think life groups is another place in which you need to be sharing You need to share inside of that group. Don't just come, sit in the corner, uh, wait for it to be over, hoping that nobody asks you a question, then you can jet out of there as quickly as possible. Be known in that place. If you're part of a life group, be known there. Share your story. Let that be an encouragement to other people. Just of what we witnessed this morning with the baptism videos that we've been doing, they're meant to encourage the person being baptized, but also you. That you would be encouraged. There's many other things which we could talk about that would be helpful, encouraging. Let me give you one thing that's been encouraging to me and to the elders recently is whenever we ask you to commit to first or second service in January, we asked you to, to pray about, to think about, and, and to lay aside your preference. And it seems to be that, that you've done that. Because the split between the first and second service is only a difference of 8% which is right in the margin of what we were praying for, that it would be less than 10%. We were hoping for a dead even mark, but we knew you were imperfect people. So we, we pray the next best thing, God, let it be inside of this. And, and thankfully, we have that. That's encouraging to us. But we also need Help. We also need volunteers to to fill out these roles that we still have for first and second service. We need help for greeters and ushers and little church and nursery. We still need people to sit one service and to serve one service or serve one, sit one, either way you want to work it. One thing that would be super encouraging is to have people come up to us, staff elders, and say, Hey, I just want to help. I don't care where you put me. Just whatever you need. That is super encouraging, because what that shows us is that you have a heart that has been humbled by the gospel, and you don't care how God uses you. You just want to be plugged in somewhere. You just want to do something for him. And there might be some questions asked of maybe some skills that you have or spiritual gifts that you have, and we'll try to help find a place for you. This is what the gospel does. It changes us. It changes how we view things and how we participate in things. The gospel is believing that Jesus came for me, a filthy, rotten sinner who could really do nothing to save themselves. Christ lived a perfect life that we could not live, and he died as an innocent man for guilty people on a Roman cross as a sacrifice for our sins, as a payment for the sin debt which we had against God But he has paid a price for us. He bought us. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, victorious over sin, over death, over Satan, over hell. And then he promises to give eternal life to anybody that would trust him, that would turn from their sin and believe and follow Jesus. This is the promise of the gospel. And this is the good news that we have and that should change us of how we view other people, how we respect them, how we... Uh, how we, we think about encouragement with them, it humbles us, it changes us to a place where we have a new desire to serve God, to serve his people, and to serve the world around us. We should be a different people. We should be light, not darkness. And this is what in true encouragement should look like. It, it should look very different than maybe what you've been doing before. Now, let me end with just a couple questions I want you to ponder, and I'm going to give you just a few moments as the worship team comes. Two questions I want you to think about as they come is, who do you need to encourage this week? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's just your spouse you need to encourage this week. And you need to be very intentional of how you do that. Then let me ask this question to follow that up with, how are you going to do it? How are you going to encourage them this week? Who is it? Then how do you do it? Get a plan this morning. Let me give you just a few moments. If you want to bow your heads, you can do that. If you just want to think deeply about who it is and then how do you do that? And then I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Well, Father, I, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have... You've saved me. You've changed me. You have radically transformed my heart, my mind. God, I am a sinful man. I need encouragement. I, I need people to admonish me, to, to hold me accountable. God, all of us in this room, we, we desperately need you. We need your people our lives let us not leave here today unmoved unchanged by your word by what we've been commanded to be and the the difference that should be in our life God as I've asked these people to think on this one person or maybe a couple people that need to be encouraged by them specifically this week I pray that they would not be able to, to go throughout this week Without doing that, that you would make it inevitable for them to be in a position where they have to be encouraging for this person. And that's not based upon a, a reaction to them being kind or polite to them, but that they would even go out of their way to, to do this. Maybe it's before they even get to the parking lot today that they they do that. Lord, let us take your word and What you've shown us, let's take that and apply it to our heart, to our mind. Let us be different, that we would be children of light, not of darkness. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?